Hey folks, this is Jesse Cope, back with another episode of the American Soul Podcast. Hope y'all are doing well, wherever y'all are, and whatever part of the day you're in. I sure do appreciate y'all joining me, giving me a little bit of your time. I will try to use it wisely. We went from summer to early winter uh, very quickly. And so it's going to change maybe the recording. We'll see. But that may be why some of y'all notice a difference in the background music. As always, for those of y'all that continue to share the podcast, I'm incredibly grateful for that. Helps immensely every time y'all tell somebody about the podcast, send it to them. So thank y'all so much. And... Lord, thank you for the time to record the podcast and the people that listen to it and the people that share it. Guide them through their days. Give them your peace. Give me the words that you want me to speak. I will say that we get some pretty spectacular sunrises and sunsets this time of year which is always pretty impressive just to sit there and look at if you have the time. We'll get going today. We are going to probably for the next couple days, because as I got into this, it was more material than I thought at first. But we're going to talk about some state Supreme Court justices and their opinions on Christianity and the law. We're going to talk about a couple others that aren't justices, but had a lot to do with the founding and the Constitution. The first one is a man by the name of John Bannister Gibson. He was Chief Justice of Pennsylvania and a jurist. He declared, give Christianity a common law trial, Submit the evidence pro and con to an impartial jury under the direction of a competent court, and the verdict will assuredly be in its favor. We, we have this idea that's been promulgated from the left that our founders, our early leaders, wanted Christianity relegated to the back burner, to say the least. They wanted it completely out of public life, wanted nothing to do between faith and between Christianity and and our public policy and institutions. And that's really it, right? Because you you see other religions not getting hammered like this in public education or, or in other areas, right? And so 
and and you you've got to know this uh, if you're a Christian of any length of time that knows the New Testament, you know that there's evil out in the world that's going to attack Jesus Christ and those who follow him. And if you're not, if you're if you're listening to the podcast and you're just somebody who simply loves America, then then that's why there's a reason that Christianity gets attacked, and it's it's because they're attacking Christ. And, and so this idea, though, going back kind of this idea that our founders didn't want Christianity involved in our law, in our constitution, or the results thereof, it's just completely patently false. Uh, and it all goes back to this 1947 Supreme Court decision, at least in modern times, of separation of church and state from one line in a letter from Jefferson, private letter to a Baptist pastor, and completely twisted out of context. And so you see here in this first example, Gibson, the Chief Justice of Pennsylvania, talking about how, just giving us an idea, this you know, this was his statement about Christianity and the and the veracity, the validity of it. Alexander Hamilton not a Supreme Court justice. Although I'll go back and throw in real quick. I didn't mean to. I should have taken a picture of this and I don't think I did. Although I might have. Let me see if I've got the quote from John Jay. And if I don't, oh, I do. First Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Providence has given to our people the choice of their ruler, and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. So, anyway, that's always a good one. We mention that one often here. Alexander Hamilton, granted, not a Supreme Court justice, but is considered as the ratifier of the Constitution. And pretty likely that it might not have passed without his efforts because he was he authored 51 of the 85 Federalist Papers which really helped push the passage of the Constitution because it had to be passed in two-thirds of the states in order to go into effect. And so we're just going to read a couple of his comments. This was shortly after the Constitutional Convention of 1787. Hamilton stated, for my own part, I sincerely esteem it a system which without the finger of God could never have been suggested and agreed upon by such a diversity of interests. And the reason we're looking at Hamilton, right, because he was so important for the Constitution, is although he wasn't a Supreme Court justice, We'll go back and read some from Justice Story if we get a chance. But the Supreme Court is supposed to hold true to the Constitution. Their, their job isn't to create laws, and it's not to adjust the Constitution, right? And so this idea that the founder of the Constitution would have such a high opinion 
of Christianity, the guy that helped get it passed is what I should have said. And then all of a sudden turn around and say, well, we don't want anything at all to do with Christianity in our country, in our professional or uh, public lives. I can hear the train in the background, I'm sure. A little bit loud this morning. I want to make sure that everybody knows they're coming. Hamilton, this is an excerpt out of the America's God and Country Encyclopedia of Quotations. Hamilton, who led his household regularly in the observance of family prayers, wrote to his friend James Baird in April of 1802, revealing the important connection between Christianity and constitutional freedom. In my opinion, the present Constitution is the standard to which we are to cling. Under its banner, bona fide, we must combat our political foes, rejecting all changes but through the channel itself provided for amendments. By these general views of the subject have my reflections been guided. I now offer you the outline of the plan they have suggested. Let an association be formed to be dominate, denominated the Christian Constitutional Society. Its object to be first the support of the Christian religion. Second, the support of the United States. So both of these quotes from Hamilton, who strongly guided passing the passing of the Constitution, encouraged it, whatever you want to say, is him talking about that connection between Christianity and the Constitution. And so how did we get to the point now where we can't have where we're, God and Jesus Christ aren't the center focus in education, in our public policy, in our law, in our foreign policy, and domestic, I guess is what I should have said. How did we get to the point where we go from so many of our founders, you know, you go back to Fisher Ames that we've talked about a lot here, who delivered the final wording for the First Amendment as far as freedom of religion. And it said that the Bible ought to be the primary textbook in schools, in public schools. Or Benjamin Rush, who's considered the father of public schools, talking about the need for the Bible as the basis for public education. And then you've got, oh, my brain just went away. Oh, Justice Story. That one I have. We'll go back and read that real quick. I think we've read it recently. But it certainly doesn't hurt to read it again. Joseph's Story, who we talk about frequently, one of the beautiful boasts of our municipal jurisprudence is that Christianity is part of the common law. There has never been a period in which the common law did not recognize Christianity as lying at its foundation. Alexander Hamilton again. I have carefully examined the evidence of the Christian religion. 
and if I was sitting as a juror upon its authenticity, I would unhesitatingly give my verdict in its favor. I can prove its truth as clearly as any proposition ever submitted to the mind of man. And again, the fundamental source of all your errors, sophisms and false reasoning, is a total ignorance of the natural rights of mankind. Were you once to become acquainted with these, you could never entertain a thought that all men are not by nature entitled to a parity of privileges. <coughs> Excuse me. You would be convinced that natural liberty is a gift of the beneficent creator to the whole human race and that civil liberty is founded in that and cannot be wrested away from any people without the most manifest violation of justice. So again and again, folks, we go back to Christ. And that our liberty is a gift from God. And again, Hamilton's obviously talking about God, the Father of Jesus Christ, when you look at his personal life. They didn't outline this at the time because they didn't have to. Because the vast, vast majority of the population was Christian. And we've talked about that with the number of delegates sent to the Constitutional Convention. If we're going to turn the country around, folks, we have to get God back in our individual lives and in our public lives and in our courts and in our schools. James Kent, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of New York, head of the Court of Chancery for nine years, considered the premier jurist in the development of the legal practice in the United States. James Kent authored the commentaries on American law. In the case of the People versus Ruggles, 1811, James Kent rendered the opinion of the court. The defendant was indicted in December, 1810, for that he did on the second day of September, 1810, wickedly, maliciously, and blasphemously utter and with a loud voice publish in the presence and hearing of divers good and Christian people, of and concerning the Christian religion, and of and concerning Jesus Christ. The false, scandalous, malicious, wicked, and blasphemous words following. Jesus Christ was a bastard and his mother must be a whore in contempt of the Christian religion. The defendant was tried and found guilty and was sentenced by the court to be imprisoned for three months and to pay a fine of $500. Such words uttered with such a disposition were an offense at common law. In Taylor's case, the defendant was convicted upon information of speaking similar words and the court said that Christianity was parcel of the law and to cast ooh, contumulous 
reproaches upon it, tended to weaken the foundation of moral obligation and the efficacy of oaths. It's a lot of big words, at least from my folks. Uh, and we're going to read some more from Kent tomorrow. We might do one more. Let's see how much time we got. Yeah, we got enough time. We'll do one more paragraph of this. And in the case of Rex v. Woolston, on a light conviction, the court said that whatever strikes at the root of Christianity tends manifestly to the dissolution of civil government. The authorities show that blasphemy against God and profane ridicule of Christ or the Holy Scriptures, which are equally treated as blasphemy, are offenses punishable at common law, whether other uttered by words or writings, because it tends to corrupt the morals of the people and to destroy good order. So, <laughs> here you have well after the First Amendment Constitution, people being fined and jailed for blasphemy against Christ and the Bible. And there's going to be people out there that listen to the podcast and are going to be like, oh my gosh, this guy wants a theocracy. No. And, and that's, that's obviously not true if you know anything about history because our founders didn't want a theocracy at all. They didn't found a theocracy. And they weren't forcing anyone to faith. You, you didn't have to have faith in Jesus Christ and the Bible. But to go around and undermine, we'll go back to that quote tomorrow if I can remember to, go back and undermine the foundation of the country by disparaging of Christianity. They knew, as Kent, who was a chief justice of the Supreme Court of New York, they knew, as he said, it, it corrupts morals and destroys good order. You know, that was, that was something in the Marine Corps that we were hammered at all the time. Good order and discipline. And every single value that you see from the left, core value, does the opposite of that. It destroys good order and discipline. The military is a perfect example. Pretending for the last 50 years that men and women were the same. That co-ed units were useful instead of weakening the military. It destroys good order and discipline. And where do we get that from? We get that from rejection of God, rejection from our God-given roles as men and women. And we, we reject the idea of God-given equality. That's what feminism does. It rejects equality. They claim to want equality. They don't. They want to be the same. They want to actually literally, it's, it's so ironic. Feminism seeks to destroy women by making them the same as men, by, by ignoring their God-given strengths. And so this, this line, and we'll, we'll come back to it tomorrow, folks. We'll finish this up. But if we take God and Jesus Christ, which we have, out of our institutions and our law, we, we weaken the morals of our people, which we have, and we destroy good order, which we have. And so what we're getting today across the country, all of this chaos that you see, all of the just violence and, and, and increasing in the destruction of the family unit and marriage and everything else that we talk about here, it all goes back to this. Does that mean it would be perfect if we turned back to God? No, because it's a fallen world, but, but it could be so much better than it is now. 
But we've got to turn back to God and Jesus Christ. We'll talk some more about it tomorrow, folks. God bless y'all. God bless your families. God bless America. Looking forward to it.